Welcome. Pull up a seat, relax, and pour yourself a drink. You're invited to listen in on Bean and Bowman share life stories and personal perspectives. And we are back. We're back. It's wonderful to see you. Wonderful to talk to you today. And we have a very special subject. I just do want to uh, remind for those who uh, have been uh, faithful listeners and those who are new to the podcast, Bean and Bowman, that the Bean and Bowman, we're actually related. We are actually related. We are uh, father-in-law and son-in-law. And uh, we are also speaking from rather great distances. You estimated, right, Steve, we're about 6,000 miles apart. And I mentioned that we're seven time zones away. So amazing, amazing this technology, isn't it, that we're able to have a real-time conversation uh, and do it 6,000 miles apart and seven time zones away. So welcome back to the show, Steve. And we are our topic today is a really, really interesting one. I'm really excited about this. The differences between growing up in the 1940s and 1950s and growing up today. Wow. I'm excited about this. All right. Take us there. Yeah, it's a different story completely. The uh, And what I also find interesting about our podcast is that uh, we are heard in um, United States, Israel, United Kingdom, and Australia. So that uh, that is that's fascinating to me, and hopefully those audiences will grow. Um, so yes. the question is, um, what it was it like to grow up in the '40s and '50s, which is when I grew up? Okay, since since 1990 and the early 2000s up till now, childhood experiences have changed drastically. Um, I can remember coming home after a day at school and hurriedly fishing up. Um, uh, all my homework so that I could go out and play with my neighbors and we would play outside all evening and return home just as the street lights turned on. However, um, when the, when the time went by, uh, childhood experiences are somewhat different. Now, now kids come home after school, they submit their online assignments as soon as possible so they could plug in their earbuds and enjoy the screen time before bed. It's a whole, it's a whole different thing. Um, just a different way of living, completely different. Um, childhood, childhood in the forties and fifties was more structured, I think, with with a clear expectation for behavior uh, by by society and parents, but also seen as a time for play and exploration, often outdoors. Children had more freedom to roam and play without adult supervision than today. Parents today are are very controlling of their children. I like to refer to it as paranoid parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, compared to the uh, to the forties and fifties, um, generally speaking, speaking, children growing up nowadays are less creative in their ways of entertainment. Uh, for the majority of kids in today's world, we have some type of personal electronic device. They're always carrying with them every day to cure their boredom. This means if a child is bored, he or she will simply pull out the phone, begin to play games, and keep their minds busy. Um, this can be seen in children as early as uh, at the age of two. Um, it, I, I see it on TV uh, all the way up to adolescence. It's become uncommon to find children of current generation without an electronics device on them. 
However, in the rare instance that uh, the child does not have one of these devices, they're generally made fun of uh, by other children and turned into outcasts and or seen as poor. You talked about uh, boredom um, and how, I guess, today uh, the child needs to pick up the device, um, iPhone or whatever electronic device it is, and that is going to somehow uh, cure their boredom. And it sounds like what you're saying is, is that back in the 1940s, 1950s, children found their own way to uh, to deal with boredom. They they didn't need to turn to some kind of third party electronic digital something or other, but rather they came up with their own right their own solutions for 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 dealing with boredom. So I guess my question is. You know, how big a problem is boredom? Well, I think that uh, the children today don't deal very well with boredom. We have, um, I remember uh, growing up uh, years ago, and we would wait for somebody to get a new refrigerator or whatever. So the box would be left outside and um, and we would use it to build a fort and Amazing. go in outside. And now if a box is left outside, we say, you know, why didn't some, somebody pick that thing up? It's a nuisance. Right, it's a right. Thing. And in, in, in some of the other things that, that impressed me with growing up then versus now was um, we drank out of the hose. The hose was where we got our water from. I never knew anybody that died from that, uh, but we drank out of the hose. Uh, we rode our bicycles in the winter and summer. We went to summer camp. Um, he, mothers used to be accused of um, uh, benign neglect. That's the term I like to use for it. In other words, they just say, go out, have a good time. I'll see you after a little while. Um, and we built forts in the woods. We played in the streets. Levi's cost four, a pair of Levi's cost $4. I remember that. And we wore saddle shoes. And I remember being on the safety patrol, which was my first uh, uh, association with law enforcement, which I sort of enjoyed. I I was responsible for ch- for crossing children on a very busy street and nobody gave it a second thought amazing isn't it it is and what you you know what you're describing in a sense are um what we what we today would call taking risks uh you know in terms of you know drinking out of a hose can you imagine people are wait a second have you checked the uh bacteria count in the hose you know uh, the idea of riding your bike in the winter time uh, you know, wow, you could you could wipe out, you could slip or, you know, um, going into the woods, going to the woods, for <laughs> making a fort, you know, uh, the idea that, you know, who's supervising? Uh, has it been safety tested? Has everything been approved by the different, uh, you know, government bodies uh, that check these things? You guys took a lot of risks back in the 40s and 50s. Did you see yourselves as being risk takers when you were growing up? No, I, we didn't feel that it, we didn't really feel there was any risk involved because there was no uh, ramification of having do it, having done these things. Um, everything worked out. It always worked out to these this to this day when I when I'm driving around and I see a plot of grass, I think God, that would be a great spot for a hockey rink. If I just <laughs> had my winter, I could freeze that thing. It's perfect. Um, or if I saw today, I see baseball fields unused uh, in my neighborhood. Well, that would be impossible back then. We would we would battle over who would get a chance to use those baseball or softball fields. And um, I remember an instance on my block. Uh, I like to refer to it as the Elliot Parr incident because uh, Elliot Parr was a guy who lived on our block. And my I, I remember my brother shot him in the eye with a BB gun 
or something. I don't even I don't even think they 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 took Elliot to the eye doctor actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, they doctor. His parents and my parents had a discussion, and this these days every time we run into Elliot, I always it always reminds me of Elliot Park getting shot in the eye with a BB gun. It it uh, and and no one ever, as they said, put their eye out. Be careful, you'll put your eye out. Uh, I never knew anybody had their eye put out, and I worked in a hospital, so um, it's it's a whole it's a whole different thing. And I and I think that uh, it all changed way back. I've said this before that uh, I think it all changed way back with the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Once somebody once somebody did that. It was felt that almost anything could be done, um, whereas it was a pleasure growing up as a child. You knew what to expect from your parents. Your parents didn't put enormous pressures on you that were were uh, out of the range of achieving. And it was uh, it was a it was a, a, a calm, pleasant time. Uh, I can't stand to watch the nightly news because it's just awful. Everything I hear on the nightly news is negative. All I hear is negative things. So, you know, what I do is I don't watch it. I just mm. can't nightly news because there's nothing on the nightly news that I find interesting enough to look at because there's nothing positive that they show. It's all negative. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's interesting. I've heard that the JFK assassination, assassination in November 1963 um, was what some people have turned as a loss of innocence um, and this idea that you know, all of a sudden there was, this, as you say, this awareness that if you could do that, if that could happen, uh, then anything could happen. And uh, almost a sense of dread and fear, uh, you know, all of a sudden understanding that, hey, you know, there are such things as taking risks. Um, so we now live in a world where there's a great deal of uh, trouble and anxiety and, and, and it's broadcast uh, every half hour if you, you know, if you keep the cable news on you're going to be getting an update about what what other disaster and tragedy took place and that has to have some kind of an impact on on children and as they grow up uh, you know i mean it, it it sounds like you're probably you know would you say that children growing up today are are uh, are missing out on uh, as compared to children growing up in the 40s and 50s well, I think they're missing out. Uh, they don't know that they're missing out. Mm. And I don't think don't I don't ever recall as a young kid using the word or thinking about the word risk because we never felt we were taking a risk. Um, if I was walking down the sidewalk and somebody was coming the other way, I didn't automatically assume that that person was there to do me harm. I mean, we we just didn't we didn't live in that world. That world right. was known to us. And in, in today's world, uh, we use the word risk all too often, and it, it's it's contagious, and children catch on to it, and uh, children are um, suffer from anxiety problems because of it, and get more psychotherapy because of it, and uh, and so forth. It, and and they're they're the sometimes I like to take a, a nostalgic journey. What was child like? What was childhood like in nineteen fifties and forties? Imagine growing up in a time when outdoor play was the norm. The technology haven't, hasn't yet invaded every aspect of our life. I lived that way. Uh, the 1950s were childhood revolved around simple pleasures, uh, time spent with family and friends. Um, but at the same time, economic prosperity reigned. 
uh, providing a sense of security for families to explore their newfound consumerism, while rock and roll emerged as a soundtrack to increasingly uh, rebellious youth culture. Um, um, there, there are a, a number of um, things that come to mind illustrative of uh, this journey that I prefer to take, the nostalgic journey. Number one, the importance of outdoor play. Uh, in the 50s and 40s, outdoor play was considered essential for children. It fostered their physical development, encouraged social interaction with their, their peers, uh, and outdoor exploration was a significant part of, of daily life as kids were encouraged to, re, to roam freely in the neighborhoods or nearby parks or without constant supervision. And this led to an appreciation of nature and allowed children to develop a sense of independence that shaped their characters. In today's digital age, where children are often glued to screens, children in the 50s spent countless hours playing outside, engaging in games like hide and seek, building forts or tree houses. Imagine your kid is in a tree, building a tree house. You can't climb up there. Yeah, we could. And riding bikes. This emphasis on outdoor play improved physical health uh, and nurtured creativity and problem-solving skills. Yeah. I was just going to say that that the idea of of being connected to the outside, um, you know, the, the fact that you growing up, you know, you probably had a very close connection with the changing of the seasons, right? Going from summer to fall to winter to spring, uh, you probably had a maybe even at a very unconscious or subconscious level understood some knowledge about plants and animals, maybe not in a scientific level, but certainly at a some kind of understanding about how to relate to it, um, you know, things like that. You probably, if you fell and skinned your knee, you probably picked yourself up and carried on uh, without thinking about, oh, could this get, you know, is this going to get infected or something like that? Um, so it definitely sounds like that there was a almost like a, a more harmonious uh, relationship with nature, uh, whereas, uh, as you say, today you need to get plugged in in order to be entertained, in order to play, uh, that sounds, uh, you know, that sounds, it's an interesting idea. Yeah, you skin your knees. So I, it reminds me of the term of the uh, mercuricome. You got to put some mercuricome on that knee. We didn't run to the to the emergency room or run to the doctor. And I never, I don't recall um, anybody ever saying that could get infected. And then we don't know where it's going to go after that. It wasn't going to go anywhere after that. It is what it is. That's the way it was. And children would use their imaginations back then to create new games uh, or scenarios while interacting with their environment. They learned how to navigate challenges by working together to find alternative solutions when faced with obstacles during playtime. Uh, the freedom experienced during these outdoor adventures contributed significantly to children's overall happiness and well-being in the 50s. And, you know, that doesn't mean that children are not happy today, uh, but it's a different kind of happiness. By spending time outdoors, it immersed children in nature and the appreciation in nature. They developed a strong connection with the world around them, uh, something many believe has been lost in current generations due to our reliance on technology and structured activities. Do you think, do you think that children growing up in the 1940s and 50s wound up becoming better at problem solving? Uh, and, you know, and if so, how do we deal with that today? Yeah, I think so. I think that I think that, that what we're missing is a lot of face-to-face -face communication. That's very important. Uh, limited entertainment options, 
Um, we don't have manual tasks like washing clothes by hand or to using typewriters for writing documents uh, and, and the development of resourcefulness uh, without access to search engines like Google, for instance, answers, problem solving skills were honed through trial and error or asking other people's advice. That's, that's how it was done. It was, it was, it was a different thing. Uh, and I think that the comfort level, if you, if you put an aura on it, the comfort level back then was one thing and the comfort level today is another thing, except I think the cover, the comfort level today is accompanied by anxiety, uh, and oftentimes depression and, um, who knows what? Who knows what's going to happen with children when they grow up today? I, I I'm aware of the fact that you know that some of our grandchildren play baseball and they play uh, tennis and they always have to get an award. Nobody plays a game today without getting an award. Other instead of somebody said, you know what, you didn't play well enough to get an award, so you're not getting one. <laughs> and the right. kid, the kid had to deal with it, but not now, not now. They, they everybody gets an award, some form of trophy. They have to get some form of trophy. And if they don't get some form of trophy, they feel like they failed. It, it's, a, it's a different thing. It's, it's a fi finally a totally different thing. Um, you can imagine sitting down at a family dinner every night with everyone sharing stories of their day and parents talking on a more traditional roles in raising children and, and managing the household. Um, parents' styles lean toward being author uh, authoritative and clear expectations for children's behavior. Back then, uh, fathers typically took the role of the breadwinner, uh, working long hours outside the home while mothers were responsible for maintaining a clean house, preparing meals, and caring for their children. During this period, it was common for families to have regular rituals centered around mealtime and, and shared activities that fostered a sense of connection amongst members. Yeah. That's the way it was. Yeah, you 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 had mentioned before you you mentioned that before the beginning, and and you've touched on it again now. The uh, the idea of of um, more structured um, expectations, for example, uh, uh, in terms of how should children behave, uh, what what was acceptable, what was not acceptable. Um, I, I guess we have less of that structure or no structure today. Um, for some listeners, they may go, they may, they may kind of like, you know, you know, uh, like, whoa, what do you mean structure? Uh, is that, is that, does it have an, uh, does it have an upside? Does it have a positive side to have structured um, expectations and, and standards around what is expected for children? Is there an upside to that? Uh, no, I, I, I don't know about that. They, they, they seem to be encouraged to express themselves in, in any way, even if it's negative. Well, he's expressing himself. Yeah, that's what he's doing. Um, school life in the 50s, uh, in my, to my recollection, was marked by strict teacher authority, with educators often resorting to corporal punishment, even to maintain discipline. It was also an era of conformity. School uniforms were a common sight, ensuring that students appeared as a uniform bodies rather than individuals. Uh, it was it was way, way, way different. Uh, academic success was highly valued, yet boys were expected actually back then to excel more in math and science while girls would shine in home economics. That, that doesn't happen today. That can't happen today. Um, and education during that time back then focused primarily on rote learning rather than encouraging creativity or critical thinking. Um, the method of teaching was aimed at creating obedient citizens who adhered to societal norms without questioning them. That was the, that was the way it was. 
Um, and even 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 today, uh, popular toys and games are different. The children in the 50s, uh, kids found joy in various toys and games that may seem simple compared to today's high-tech gadgets and offered endless hours of entertainment nonetheless. Um, it, in toy evolution change, during that time, marked with a shift toward mass production and affordability and making things more accessible for children from all walks of life. Uh, I, iconic toys come to mind. Mr. Potato Head, Barbie, <laughs> the ever-popular Slinky, which I used to get a big kick out of, uh, debuted way back then. And board games were a craze. Uh, families used to gather around board games, Monopoly, Scrabble, Clue, at home, especially during rainy days. Um, then it increased on more outdoor activities, bicycles, roller skates, hula hoops. Um, they provided exercise and fun for children in the 50s. And then television became more widespread, introducing new forms of entertainment like Saturday morning cartoons. This, this allowed us, me, to, to enjoy many timeless characters, such as Bugs Bunny or Tom and Jerry, right in my living room. And I assume yours at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Those uh, those were those were uh, you know almost like friends. You know, you'd you'd, you'd want to you look forward to seeing them and what they were up to next. Bugs Bunny and and uh, and, and all the all the characters and absolutely. Uh, and you know, so as as you were talking about the uh, the uh, the almost the as you say the uniformity or the uh, discipline discipline style of of education um so you know again it, it was is there a positive side to that i guess you could say there's a certain sense of security isn't there you know where you stand you know where you you know you know where you belong and and uh what is expected of you um on the other hand people could say yeah but how about that creative person that was the creative spirit inside of somebody who wants to break out of that and I guess that would be very, very tough for that individual. So I guess there's pros and cons uh, for um, for for both models. Um, and uh, wow, it's so so interesting. What is your what is, you know? If you could think back, what, one of your I don't know, one of your craziest memories, right? You talked about your uh, you talked about Elliot and his uh, you know having him being shot in the eye and everything what else can you share with us some crazy crazy antics from something you did that maybe today mm, i don't know it, a kid wouldn't be caught doing i remember i remember distinctly being in what we refer to as shop class and everybody would take you would bring in a bowling pin back then because and we would make them into lamps and um, I remember the name of my teacher. His name was uh, Mr. P Mr. Pitcher. And I remember him bending over a vice, uh, sanding one of the uh, the bowling uh, the uh, bowling pins. And I he looked he looked to me like a friend of mine at the time, whose name was Jim White. And I so I walked up behind him and I kicked him in the rear end with my knee and I said, "Move it, fatty." And he turned around and gave me a look that, that you wouldn't want to see again, but. <laughs> Never went past that. I wasn't in the principal's office. I wasn't being. I wasn't being. Uh, you know, expelled from school. Uh, nothing ever happened to me. And I. And it. It. You know, if that ever happened today, they would put the kid into a, into a psychological evaluation status. You know, you can't be running around doing that. No one does that. Only strange people do that. No, I did that. So I, I, uh, that 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 
never forgotten that when I said, uh, and my, my parents never even heard about it. You would that's a great story. It. That's a great story. That is so, that's, that's very, very colorful. Yeah. That, yeah, it was funny at the time. Uh, and the look he gave me was funny at the time too. Um, and another thing that, that's, that's changed a great deal. Um, if, if you, as you know, I, I have a hobby of designing hats. And one of my most popular hats that I designed says on it, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And I get comments about the hat. Oh, that is a really cool hat. It's a, I can't argue with that. It is what it is. How do I get one of those hats? How do I get it? I want that hat. So I, um, and I think that that pretty much describes um, where we are today and compared to compared to any other time segment in time. And that is, it is what it is. And and you don't have to really go any further beyond that um, because there may be no basis for comparison that really rings a bell anywhere. It is what it is now. It is what it is and was then. And 200 years ago, it, it is it is what it is still applied. It, this That slogan that I put, put on the hat applied as long as there were human beings on this planet. Um, it is what it is because there was no basis for comparison. And so we have to um, to live with it. And now with all the technology, there's there are more avenues for change. Um, I, I remember another thing back then that um, and that was fashion and clothing trends. Um, um, they they influenced in the 50s uh, kids day to day lives. Um there were bold colors. Um, vintage outfits were all the rage. Uh, and emulated, and they emulated favorite stars on TV and movies. Girls wore, get this, poodle skirts with petticoats underneath to give them a vibrant appearance. Perfect for twirling at school dances. Um, and and they had uh, Peter Pan collars. I remember those, uh, and add, which added a touch of innocence to their ensembles. And um, it, and then one of my all-time favorites was saddle shoes. Mm-hmm. These were white shoes with a certain pattern on the back. And those things, that pattern had to be right. Uh, and girls wore ankle socks or bobby socks for added flares. Um, and the, the saddle shoe was a big deal. Very, very big deal. And white bucks. Um, a Pat Boone uh, started singing about uh, white bucks. And everybody had to have white bucks. And it, to this day... To this day, I have two pair of saddle shoes, one of them brown and white, one of them black and white, and um, and white bucks. And uh, I, 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 and when I wear them, when I wear them and see people my age, they say, those are really cool. Those are cool. Um, and uh, it, it was just a different world. Discipline played a crucial role, role in shaping the lives of 50s kids um, and to install, you know, and still values such as respect, responsibility. Um, and it, it just, um, I think that, I think that that hat idea I got, um, rings a bell on that to me and to a lot of other people that see me wearing that hat, because it is, it it truly, it is what it is. And if you have nothing to compare it to, then that is even rings true more so. Yeah. The, I, I also have that hat because you gave one to me as well. And it definitely is a, uh, a stopper. People definitely stop and look at that. They had not not seen a hat like that before. 
Uh, it's not a, but yet it resonates. It really does resonate. It's almost like, right? You, you almost say people nodding in affirmation, look as they read it, going, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, it, it, it's almost um, a response to our overly uh, complicated uh, lives uh, and our overly complicated world that just, it's almost about saying, just, you know, accept it. Don't look any, you know, don't look any deeper than, 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 what it appears and uh there's there's something very pleasant about that there's something very almost calming and uh, you know and harmonious about that so it's a very very it's an excellent saying you know and then of course it, it's about dealing with whatever it is it is in other words it is what it is and okay how do you deal with it so there's definitely uh there's definitely that aspect to it i love the saddle shoes i love the saddle shoe idea you've made me Think about next time I see you. I'd I'd love to see you wearing those. That would be a lot of fun. I, uh, the saddle shoes. The saddle shoes were and always will be the coolest shoe ever invented. Um, and 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 then there's something else way back then. How about the Cold War? Remember the Cold War? We, we used to have air raid drills. We go down the basement. Okay. Now it's a whole different story. I don't. I don't. I don't have. A, I don't have an air raid shelter in my in I in my house. This is. We live in a whole different world when it comes on from when it comes to the the impact of the, the Cold War. There's no such thing as a Cold War. There's bombs. There's uh, that that could wipe out entire societies. And and um, and then and then way back then, um, we we there would be an air raid drill. In, in school and everybody would line up in the hallway and we'd march down the basement and felt that if we were down in the basement, we were safe from being attacked by uh, by the Russians or whoever was at the, I think was on the other end of the Cold War. Uh, it, it was that, that was that was the problem. And, and today, of course, the other thing we didn't have back then was this, the strength of the media influence. Um, there, there, over the course of the years from the forties and the fifties, there was newspapers, there was television, there was radio, there was everything. And, 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 uh, we don't have all, we don't have all that, um, um, today. Um, the media influence is is substantial. And then, then it seems to me, I think rock and roll became very influential and captivating teenagers. Uh, in terms of their the aspects of their youth culture, and that was a, sort of a sort of a form of acting out, but it was accepted. But then there were people who didn't didn't uh, approve of that at all. There were people who went ballistic over the, the site of Elvis Presley. Hmm. Uh, I mean, and then you know we got through all of that. But if you if you really want to put a bottom line to this particular podcast. Uh, I think it could be entitled, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> that would describe pretty much, really pretty much everything uh, that, that occurred. And and then we ran into a guy by the name of uh, Dr. Benjamin Spock, who wrote a book called The Common Sense Book of Baby and Child Care. And everybody listened to Dr. Spock. He said, well, you can't do that. Dr. Spock says, you can't do that. You're not supposed to do that. Dr. Spock you, says, you make the kid into a, into a nutcase. You're not supposed to do that. So Dr. Spock was, was we had a, a um, uh, it was very influential in, in everything that, that went on. And um, 
you know, sort of in conclusion, you, you can say a childhood in the 50s and 40s was characterized by a sense of post-war optimism, interesting, um, more excellent e economic stability, and the building in the building and beginnings of multicultural shifts. And um, though that was that was what it was pretty much all about. Um, and the the amount of, of um, discipline that was always expected in schools. In other words, you were you were disciplined more in schools than you were at home. Um, and that, that was like really, really a big deal. Uh, you never, you, you know, I, I can remember, you know, and to this day, it seems like somewhat ridiculous. Somebody would say, you know, don't let me catch you chewing gum in school. I don't, I don't understand how chewing gum could cause a lack of learning. But back then, accepted the fact that anybody chewing gum had was taking a big chance because uh, it had some negative effect on your ability to learn. Um, sort of strange. Now, now you can probably chew gum in school. I remember in graduate school, people smoked. <laughs> they smoked cigarettes in graduate school. It, and uh, and and uh, it, it, but chewing gum was one probably was one of the worst things you could do. Um, and then I, something else brings up another thought. When I was in high school, I uh, made the mistake of parking my car in the teacher's parking lot. And uh, a teacher by the name of Thaddeus Korczynski, I'll never forget him, um, uh, happened to be looking out the window because he had lunchroom duty at the time. And he caught me. And the next thing you know, I got expelled. You can't wow. park in parking lot what's the matter with you that's for teachers that's why they call it a teacher's parking lot it, it was like it was a whole a whole different thing you didn't take any chances in in going into when you walked into that school all bets were off they right. were off you weren't about to do anything wrong and if you did you would be shaking in your boots because it just wasn't going to happen tell me about touch before about the cold war and having an air raid shelter in your home or having a, you know, ha having a plan for what if, uh, to what extent did the whole Cold War culture impact your childhood? Well, we were imbued with that because if you went to the movies, you would see newsreels on the, uh, having to do with the central theme being the Cold War. And they would show people, you know, going down into the, they'd go in the backyard and they lift this thing out of the ground and they go down the stairs and they'd have food and water down there because they were seriously concerned that, that, that the Russians would be sending a bomb over and you would be safe if you were, if you were down there. And um, it was a reality at the time. It, right. it is non-reality now. So did you? So did you, as a, as a kid growing up in the shadow of that? I mean, were there games that were played around that? Was there any kind of, you know, uh, acting out that scenario of what if, or was it just something you knew? There it was. It was in the back of your mind, and you carried on with everything else. No, it was serious business. It's like a tornado today. It was serious business. We took it seriously. Um, yeah. Another thing that comes to my mind too. Back then, children were typically expected to contribute to household tasks. Boys often had, often had outdoor chores, such as mowing the lawn or taking out the garbage, while girls might help with the cooking, cleaning, or caring for younger siblings. Um, the concept of childhood was, uh, was, was more structured and clear with clear expectations for behavior. Uh, there was a time seen for play and exploration, often outdoors, 
And there was a time for children to roam and play without adult supervision like they can't do today. Um, however, societal changes and technical advances have dramatically changed the childhood experience uh, since then. It, it's, it's, um, it's a whole different world. The whole, but, it's a whole world. And I do have some concerns as to where it's actually going because um, the acting out the behavior is, which which I often see on on the news, which I tend to not watch, as I mentioned, uh, is is concerning. Is it safe to go outside at night alone? No. It, anybody would stop at a gas station where I live at two a.m. to fill their car up with gas. In my view, is taking a some kind of a risk uh, as regarding their their well being, and uh, whereas it wasn't the case back then, it just wasn't wasn't the case. Uh, there was, um, it was like, almost like there was nothing wrong. Everything mm -hmm. was right. There was just never anything really wrong. And if you ever heard about anything really wrong, it was, it was, um, it was shocking. It was right. shocking. It, it, it was that. And it was, um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's just a whole different, a whole different thing. And, um, I remember, um, something that I think is very amusing compared then and now what i what i think was uh was it was very amusing was that uh back then was uh birthday parties okay i okay. can make it i can make a because everybody had a birthday party so i can I, I can make a comparison in the following way to me the thing about birthday parties is and i thought about this deeply the thing the thing about birthday parties is that your first birthday party you, you had and the last birthday party you have are actually quite similar you know, you just kind of sit there. You're the least excited person at the party. You don't even realize there is a party. You don't know what's going on. Um, both parties, birthday parties, people have kind of help you blow out the candles. You can't do it yourself, either when you were a young kid or you're an old and it's your last birthday party. You don't even know why you're doing it. Why is this? What is this ritual? What's going on? It's also the only two birthday parties where other people have to gather your friends together for you. Sometimes they're not even your friends. They make the judgment. They bring them in. They sit them down. They tell you, these are your friends. Tell them, thank you for coming to my birthday party. So there's a comparison between your first birthday party and your last birthday party, which I think has to be valid. That's amazing. What an insight. Let me ask you this as we wrap up, as we begin to wrap up. Pretty funny, but it's, it's also very true. It's very um, funny. Very funny. Let me ask you this. What advice would you give uh, parents, uh, children growing up today from your perspective, uh, given the fact that I don't think uh, technology is really going anywhere? I don't think that anyone's sending their iPhones back to the manufacturer. I don't think anybody is. You know, that's a reality. So given that reality of the digital age that we are in, what advice do you give to parents, educators, children? On, on on how to reclaim their creativity, how, how to reclaim that, that, that how to play. I, I, I don't think people would, um, I mean, I don't think that the type of advice I would give to people would be very popular today because it would be total contrary and in, in opposition to the way the children are, are, are dealt with today. If I went to one of my grandchildren's uh, baseball games, okay, and I said uh, to uh, uh, Melanie, for example, her daughter plays uh, 
softball. Um, she shouldn't get an award for not winning the game. Mm. Why should she? I would get in trouble with Melanie, her mother, because what's the point? Everybody has to get something for participating. And um, or or why, why why do they have to get an award at all? Uh, unless they clearly are better than everyone else, you see. So right. I don't think that I don't think that my advice would be um, would go over you know in in great fashion because we we've, we've gone too far. We, uh-huh. We've gone. Um, um, I happened to have played racquetball for a number of years for a guy who owned a trophy store, and that guy made a lot of money selling trophies. I said, "What do you sell trophies for?" He says, "Everything." He says, <laughs> "It matter." Anything, anything, the tallest, the shortest, the heaviest, the non-heaviest, uh, who, they played, anybody who played baseball while it was raining. Uh, and he's got he had a very popular store uh, and he would sell and put their name on the trophy. And uh, if you go into any 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 young kids room today, you will see likely a whole bunch of plaques and trophies and everything else up on the wall showing how special they were. You don't have to be special. Because if you think you're that special, everybody would everybody would think they're special, and that's the, that's the flaw in society today. Um, I'm you know I'm in graduate school myself, as you know, and I'm, I'm you know getting my doctoral degree, and um, I, I can see it. I can even see it the way they teach doctoral level courses that they're they're not the same. They're not they're they they're demanding in a sort in a sense, but there's there's room for me to exhibit my uh my uniqueness um if i submit an assignment and the teacher doesn't happen to like it uh they will often give me a chance to resubmit it okay resubmit the assignment rather than saying you know what you're getting a d in this class get over it that's not what i asked you to do and that's what you did so just get over it okay so i have a chance to raise my grade back up to a to a b level uh, whereas I would never have had that chance before, and I don't, I don't, I don't think that it's, um, uh, I don't think it, I don't think it's, I don't think it's healthy. But again, um, back to the "it is what it is" line, um, that happens to be the new health standard uh, for the generation that we are in, and and as I said, always has been the health standard for the generation that that society was in. It, it it that's the way it is, and it is what it is. And um, I it, I get the same reaction when I wear the hat. I have I have never worn that hat out in public where someone doesn't respond to it. Compared to another, as uh, the Detroit Lions or Detroit Tigers or uh, the Toronto Argonauts, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it this thing this thing evokes a response. It just is the way it is. And if you were to describe, um, if somebody were to were to to ask me, uh, you know, what do you think of the world today? I'm very comfortable saying it is what it is, mm-hmm. and dropping uh, that's five words, right? It is what it is. Those five words will discuss and and describe what society is like today. It is what it is, and you can and 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 when I say that to people. Their response is usually, yeah, you can't argue with that. And they don't want to expand upon it because there's really nothing to expand upon. It doesn't exist anymore. Fascinating. Fascinating. Wow. Well, well, I really uh, 
I'm really glad we had this conversation. It also really remind I, you know I did not grow up in the 40s and the 50s. However, um, growing up in the 60s and 70s, and already there was post JFK and and uh, and new technologies, but we were still hanging on to some of the things that you did talk about. I remember going out with my friends, um, Billy Brummett and uh, Terry Jacks. I think his name was Terry Jacks. And uh, we also built tree forts and and did things that today, uh, you know, maybe uh, considered too risky. Um, I remember with my next door neighbor, uh, Van Wick, I think his name was, his last name was Van Wick. Uh, and we, sh- we played bows and arrows with real arrows. <laughs> you know? As a matter of fact, my friend Jordan Train actually got shot in the neck, uh, or in the back, no, back, pardon me, in the back. He got shot in the back with, a with a, with an actual arrow. My goodness. It was, so, I mean, you know, maybe that was kind of a little bit dangerous, but memorable. Certainly it was, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, bicycles in the street at night, uh, just around dusk, you know, popping wheelies and things like that. Uh, it was definitely a different time. And I do hope that, uh, children today, you know, it's, 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 it is, a, it is a problem if they're not tapping into that creativity and problem solving and, uh, that freedom. So, um, you know, your ideas may be, as you say, uh, unacceptable, but I don't know, maybe they should be accepted. The idea of of uh, maybe grasping on a little bit to some of those older ideals. So, but I definitely uh, am very grateful we had this conversation. I think anybody, everybody listening is going to, I think, be able to uh, be able to relate to uh, what 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 uh, has been discussed. I think they are, if they are a certain age and, um, you know, and how it, how it uh, you, 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 how it affects them today versus uh, you know way back then and uh, you know people like to to uh, reminisce a great deal and uh, and so on. That's why there's probably always been a cultural gap between the older people and real young people. But um, it it's the way it's the way the world works. And now we have intervening variables where you have you have uh, you know climate change. And, and and I don't know what these people are floating around the earth here in those spaceships, but they certainly are attracting my attention, but they don't seem to be attracting anybody else's attention, like the president of the United States. You know, very reputable people are, show, are, are showing pictures of spaceships with that look like a spaceship, I mean, little round things, you know, and, and so on and so on. And no one seems to care. And they tell the president, you know, there are spaceships out there. And he's, yeah, whatever. I, well, I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, whatever. Whatever, and in there's got to be something in the spaceship, like a space person. Uh, so I don't think we're the only living uh, organisms out there. Um, I, I really, I, I don't really understand it. I also, I also, um, um, there's a couple of things I believe in the, that and Bigfoot. I think Bigfoot's out there. I don't know why we never saw him before, but uh, big, there is such a thing as Bigfoot, and and the Loch Ness monster. Uh, or whatever you want to call them, I think's living in the, in Scotland on, in in a cave and probably has been there for centuries. I, I don't really know, but um, the thing that really gets me is the uh, the existence of uh, extraterrestrials um, because we have photographs of them taken by reliable, as underline the word reliable, sane human beings. And no one seems to care. No one seems to care. That, that, I mean, that, that's very, very interesting. And it sounds like 
this could be the subject of a uh, future podcast uh, dealing with uh, dealing with these um, sightings. Uh, but but perhaps, as you say, perhaps even more curious that the uh, UFOs themselves is the fact that there's a uh, sense of, uh, I don't know, kind of like blasé, almost like apathy regarding their possibility, which uh, it may, may be even more surprising than the actual possibility of UFOs themselves. Um, this could be the subject of a wonderful uh, pod, a fascinating podcast in the future. I mean, they got to be out there. I mean, they got got to be something. They're not photographs of nothing. Um, if it was a, if, if those things were had a had a Russian uh, flag on them, they'd catch attention over here. But they just round things with windows. Right. So I find that to be um, literally quite amazing because I, I don't know whether people just say, um, "Yeah, yeah, I hear you." Um, you know, <laughs> more than that, you see, you can see them, you know, um, and if one of them landed in my backyard, I, I frankly would not be surprised. I don't think. Right. This, right. Yeah, you could, you could, you could invite them in and, uh, make new friends. You could invite them in because they're, they're it just, it just, uh, it's very strange. I, I don't, so <laughs> we could, uh, we could, we could uh, gather enough information on, uh, on uh, on the reaction of uh, people today to that, and now they're starting to think that they're, they're you know there used to be civilization on Mars. Well, that could be. I mean, it could have been millions of years ago. You know, the you know these we're talking about planets and stars and everything that have histories of millions and millions of years. So it could be it could be anything. I remember being in Italy and going to see Pompeii, and they and thinking, wow, that is really something. They dug that whole civilization up. They just dug it up, and and there were probably civilizations long before that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We we tend to be a little bit, um, you know, ethnocentric and thinking that you know we're the only ones because we're the only ones here now. But uh, you can you can write it down. We were we were, we we're, we're not the only ones. We never were the only ones, and never will be the only ones. And they think that there are. They think they're starting to find evidence of. You know, real substantial life on Mars. There could have been there could have been anything on Mars. Could have been uh, there could have been a hockey league with six teams on Mars. Who knows? Most likely, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's very, very interesting. Very interesting. Thank you very much for today. This has been really fascinating, really enjoyable. Yeah, my pleasure. I enjoy it as well. And thanks so much. Take care. Yeah, my pleasure. Take care of yourself and be kind to everybody. Good words.